something really quick. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that we celebrate Memorial Day and those who fought for our country. Lord, we just pray that you would be honored and glorified in everything we do and say today. Help us to be the church that loves people well, cares for others who are in need. We pray for our country. We pray for those who represent us in government. share a story with you. There was a gathering of friends at an estate in England when something happened that was nearly tragic turned to tragedy. One of the children strayed away into the deep waters when he was swimming and the parents were just kind of talking and drinking and entertaining. And this kid's off in the ocean or in the lake and he's starting out in the deep starting to drown and he's screaming for help and no one's listening. Yet there was a gardener and the gardener sees this drops everything he's doing he runs to the lake, jumps in he swims over to the child and he saves him rescues that young man who's struggling to live that young man's name was Winston Churchill now his parents were so said to the gardener, is there anything we can do for you? How can we reward you? And the gardener hesitated for a moment and they said, I desire one day that I wish my son could go to college and become a doctor. The parents of the young man, Winston Churchill, said, we will see to it. Years later, Sir Winston Churchill was the Prime Minister of England and he was stricken with pneumonia. This was happening at the height of World War II. He gets pneumonia around August of that year. The Allied Generals Montgomery, Dempsey, and Bradley are all discussing the future breakthrough of what's going to happen with Europe and the European theater, and the British Prime Minister is supposed to meet with them. He's supposed to arrive at Corsica, and he's supposed to be there, and the country's best physician is summoned. And so his name was Dr. Alexander Fleming man who discovered, developed, penicillin. He made that discovery in 1928, and then he won a Nobel Prize in 1945 for it because it was one of the first antibiotics ever discovered. What's interesting, though, is he could never really stabilize it properly, and he almost failed developing penicillin. It wasn't until... He had another doctor from Oxford help him understand how to make penicillin stabilize so it could be an injectable antibiotic. Once Dr. Howard Florey of the University of
University of Oxford led a team of scientists to stabilize penicillin. Fleming's work was verified and he was redeemed. He found his redemption in the fact that he was right, that this mold that he found could actually work and help us. Fleming also was the son of the gardener who saved Winston Churchill from dying. So later Winston Churchill remarked, Rarely has one man owed his life twice to the same person. That's what we're looking for in life. We're looking for redemption. We're looking for hope. We're redeemed by God because even though we're, we fail, He saves us anyway. He sent His Son to die for us and to redeem us to Himself. That's what faith is. That's what faith or trust or hope really is as followers of Jesus. We can put our faith and our trust and our hope. That's what that word means. Faith is putting the idea of trusting that someone did something and that it was going to work out. Just like Sir Winston Churchill trusted Dr. Alexander Fleming and the others at the University of Oxford to stabilize something that they injected him to help him overcome so he put his hope and trust. And that's what we do. Hope and trust in Jesus. Today we're going to see what we can do when we put our hope and trust. And we're also going to see what the wicked put their hope and trust in. And David kind of talks about both of them. So that's what this whole sermon is all about. It's Psalm 9, the wicked will perish and our hope. So let's read together. It says this, chapter 1, Chapter 9, verse 1. It's a psalm of David. It says, verse 1, I will give thanks to the Lord with all my whole heart. I'll recount all of your wonderful deeds. I will be glad and exult in you. I will sing praise to your name, O Most High. When my enemies turn back, they stumble and perish before your presence. For you have maintained my just cause. You have sat on the throne giving righteous judgment. You have rebuked the nations. You made the wicked perish. You blotted out their name forever and ever. This is our hope. I give you thanks, Lord, with my whole heart and recount all of your wonderful deeds, David says. That's really the proper nature of what praise is. Remember, the Psalms are a song. We sing these things. And as we just finished singing, and I'm sorry that you had to hear my voice, but it's not my gift or talent. You can blame my parents. That's why he turned my mic off. And Pat, you can thank Pat. But the proper nature of praise is to understand Remember from last week's Psalm 8, there are famous people in this world. There are politicians. There are news anchors. There are people that you see on TV every day, sports athletes. They don't care about you at all. They really don't. I told you the story about George Clooney coming in to the Northville Trader Joe's. And the girl came in the back and she was so excited, George Clooney's here! I said, did he ask about me? She went, no, why? She said, I don't care then. He doesn't 
doesn't care that I'm there. He doesn't know my name. And yet there is a God who created the world who says, I want to know you personally. I'm not too good for you. See, deists actually teach that God created the world and then he left it alone. He just walked away. He said, I'll leave you up to your own ideas. That's not who God is. The creator of all of this world said that I'm mindful of you. That's who we're praising. And that's who we give praise to. And that's our hope. Our trust, our faith is in the fact that God says, I know every number of hair on your head. For some of us, not very many, but they're there. But that's who we're praising. Someone says, I love you you are enough. The wicked, however, they're blotted out forever and ever, David says here. We have a hope that's beyond all understanding because we've got a God who cares about us. That's the truth. Many people say that God doesn't care about us because if God cared about us, he would stop all the bad things from happening to us. My question is, when does he do that? When does he take away free will of people? I get it. Tragedy happens. There are bad things that happen in this world to good people, and they don't deserve it. But when should he stop it? When you think he should stop it or when I think he should stop it? When should he stop us from having our own choices? That's always my question. Because here's the truth. God says here through David, for you have maintained my just cause. You sat on my throne, giving righteous judgment. We know that God is there for those who call on his name. Romans 10.13 tells us that. And we can find comfort in knowing that the wicked are going to pay in the end. And we have a system of justice that should punish people who are bad, who are evil. We have a justice system that was created and started by the principles of this thing right here. This thing right here. Many of our founding fathers looked to this to figure out the Judeo-Christian system and principles of how to judge people. Genesis. Go check it out. Genesis 9, verse 6 says, If you shed man's blood, by man your blood shall be shed. They created capital punishment because of that verse right there. So the founding fathers got together and said, what does God say is right and wrong? And we should create a, a system that's against all of the things that are against what God says is bad. So if you murder, you're going to be in trouble for it. We have laws for that. If you steal, you're going to be in trouble for it. It's not something that man just created. It's not something we just came up with out of our own minds. It was something that was based and rooted in the Bible. See, but you can't say that nowadays. You say that nowadays, and then, oh, but you're pushing your religion on me. No, I'm not. See, God wrote it all on our hearts. We all know what's right and wrong. We know what's right and wrong. The wicked, however, are going to perish forever. What really is their hope? Have you ever looked at it? What is their fate, really? Verse 6 kind of tells us what their fate's going to be. Verse 6, The enemy came to an end 
in everlasting ruins. Their cities you rooted out. The very memory of them have perished. Here's what the wicked's hope really is. People think that if they do something that's horrible to children,
was at dinner or lunch, and my son asked me and my father, if you could go back in time, when would you go and where would you go? And of course, the good Christian Sunday school answer is, I'd go back and see Jesus. But honestly, you know what I'd love to do? I'd love to go back. Let me say this, November 23rd, 1963. How many would want to go back and see? Was there someone in the grassy knoll? How many would really like to understand what happened? I know I would. That's what I would want to do. I'd want to go back and learn stuff in history, and I'd want to go and just witness what would happen. But we need to understand going to come to an end. The wicked hope is everlasting ruin. Their cities are rooted out. The very memories of them has perished. Evil people have no hope. And that's what Christians, that's what you and I need to remind people of. Yes, history is important. Yes, we should study why they're doing what they're doing. But don't give them a platform. Don't make movies about them. Don't make them better than us or different than us. The reality is we need to hold them to the scriptures and call them what they are. Do you know that you can't call somebody evil today? I can't go out on the television networks right now. If they ever asked me, they wouldn't. And I can't call things that are evil, evil. But right now in America, what we do is Isaiah 5 verse 20, which says, those who beware, woe to those, and beware of those who call good evil and evil good. That's what we've gotten to in a society. We've gotten to the point where we've called evil things good and good things evil. And we need to be reminded that evil people have no hope. They have no hope and they don't win. They end in the lake of eternal fire. Eternal means forever. It doesn't stop. Jesus teaches about it. I encourage you to go look it up. But Revelation 21.8 talks about it as well. So, but you and I can have a hope, an everlasting hope. Look at it. Verse 7 says this, But the Lord sits enthroned forever. He's established His throne for justice. And He judges the world with righteousness. And He judges the people with uprightness. The Lord is a stronghold for the oppressed, a stronghold in times of trouble. And those who know your name put their trust in you, for you, O Lord, have not forsaken those who seek you. The Lord has not forsaken those who seek you. This is our confidence in the Lord. This is the confidence in God's nature towards those who seek Him. God says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, many of us struggle with that. Many of us question, where is God? Why doesn't He do more? The funny thing is, He's doing a ton. We just don't recognize it. There are people in the world today that say that God has left us. The 
because look at all the tragic or tragic events that have happened to us. It's simply not true. He hasn't left us. Most of the time when you feel this way, that's when God is actually carrying you. He's a stronghold for those in times of trouble. I truly pray for people. Because God doesn't take free will away from evil people or from righteous people. But He does hold back. He does hold back many things we don't see or witness or understand in life. For His own purposes. And that's hard for us. He takes something and He doesn't give us something circumstances, it's in our confidence of who He is. That's who we can take comfort in. Knowing that God's going to judge in the end all of the evil. We may not get it right now. We may not get it at this moment. It's not like going to McDonald's and ordering a burger and two seconds later you get the burger. See, sometimes God is patient with people. It seems unloving. For me, it's very then he gives those evil people an opportunity to repent of their sins. Let me give you an example. I actually had a discussion with someone who said to me in the Old Testament, God is evil. He's wrathful. He's evil. I said, really? Because for 400 years, the Canaanites were murdering babies. They would have drums, drumming, and they would drum so loud to drown out the, the, the cries of the mothers because they would go to the Moloch god who was this brass bull and they would set it afire until it turned red and then they would bring the women there and they would rip from the women their hands, their babies and they would throw them onto this bull that looked like this and they would sacrifice living children and the drummers had to drum loud enough to drum out the moms crying and the babies who were being burned to death and crying. You know how long that happened for? Four hundred years they were sacrificing living children to the God of Moloch. Then God steps in and has the nation of Israel wipe out the Canaanites, kill them all. He gave them four hundred years to repent, a chance to turn from their and turn to His ways. And when they didn't, God judged them. Now many of us would go, well, why do you wait 400 years? How long is He going to wait for each of us to turn from our ways and turn to His ways? How many of us get to live 400 years? Really, truly ask yourself, how long are you on this earth? I mean, that significant amount of time, 80, 90 years, maybe if you're lucky, 100 Compared to now eternity. How long does He give us a chance to turn from our ways and turn to His ways? It's not necessarily about our circumstances, but we can have confidence that comes in things not seen, things not understood necessarily. Hebrews 11 says, Now faith, that trust, that strong confidence in, that reliance upon someone or something, often with the object of trust understood, that faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. That is what we do with God. 
we trust in his character because over time he has proven over and over and over again that he is trustworthy, that he will judge. In fact, he's so trustworthy. That's why verse 11 is so important. It says this in the psalm, Sing praises to the Lord who sits enthroned in Zion. Tell among the peoples his deeds. For he who avenges blood is mindful of them. He does not forget the cry of the afflicted. Be gracious to me, O Lord. See my affliction from those who hate me, David says. O you who lift me up from the gates of death, that I may recount all your praises, that in the gates of the daughter of Zion I may rejoice in your salvation. That salvation is Jesus Christ. First Peter says this, Chapter 1, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. We get an inheritance. How many of us would love to be child of Queen Elizabeth. Imagine when she died and inherited she did. Again, love the high on that. How many of us would love to be a child of Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos? Can you imagine the inheritance she did? Think about the inheritance we get from Jesus Christ. It's unfading. says this, by who by God's power are being guarded through faith for the salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. Verse 6, in this you rejoice, Christians. Though even now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Yeah, we get, this isn't, life isn't easy as being a Christian. It's never been easy. It's not about ease. We have trials all the time. They're not necessarily bad trials. They might be a testing of our faith, but we have trials every day. And it says this, verse 7, So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it's tested by fire, are you ready for this? May be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Our redemption story. about what Jesus did on the cross for us. We get to trust and hope that it happened. And there's enough evidence. See, this is an evidence-based faith. This isn't blind faith. There's enough evidence. And I'll just go outside of the Bible. I'll talk about, instead of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those four eyewitnesses that watched it, there are several, and you can go to Israel, and I would encourage you to go to Israel, there are several historians that talked about it. First century guy, Joseph Josephus. He was a Jewish historian. He talked about Jesus. Tacitus is a Roman historian. He talked about Jesus. We have enough evidence to prove that Jesus is who he says he is and did what he said he did. Not just by people who got nothing for it, writing down their accounts, 
we get to see Jesus because we can trust in the evidence that's out there. And I've asked this question before. How many eyewitnesses do you need in a court of law to get someone in trouble? One? Two? Christians have at least four, if not the six I just mentioned. It's not a blind faith. It's an evidence-based faith. Our redemption stories because of the work of Christ on the cross, our inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. It never goes away. Because when you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, you will be saved. There's nothing else in the Scriptures that you have to do. You don't have to go out and do anything else. You don't have to get baptized. You don't have to speak in tongues. There are so many false teachers out there, false pastors and prophets out there. The Scriptures are simple. Christianity is a simple faith. You believe in your heart that Jesus died on a cross, and then you confess with your mouth that He did that work, and you are saved, according to Romans 10, 9-11. It's it. There's nothing more you have to do. I can sell you a prayer shawl for $50.30 if you want. It'll heal all your problems. I can get on TV and cry. Oh, please send me your money. The church is dying. We need your money. I can tell you that I really don't like to talk about sin because we're already judged. I'm telling you right now, people, the reality is we are sinners needing a Savior. We make mistakes and we sin. Sin is a simple word. It means missing the mark. There's a target, and if you miss the bullseye, you have sinned. That's where the word came from. We all do that. All of us sin. sin is death. Eternal death. Eternal separation from God. But yet, while we are still sinners, Christ died for us. So it's not about perfect theology. It's not about perfect understanding. It's about the ability to confess with our mouths, believe in our hearts, that God raised Jesus from the dead, and there's enough evidence to prove that, and you are saved. It's that simple. died for me. I'm eternally grateful. That's why it's amazing grace. Sweet the sound that saved the wretch like me. I once was lost but now I'm found. I was blind but now I see. That's our hope. That's our faith. That's our salvation is Jesus. That's our redemption. It's not Dr. Alexander Fleming and him figuring out how to stabilize penicillin with other doctors at Oxford. It's not in our money. It's definitely not in our government. I'm so frustrated by so many things like you are. It's in Jesus. Because the wicked have no hope. In fact, here's what they have. Are you ready? Verse 15 says this. The nations have sunk into the pit that they made. The net that they hid, their own feet has been caught. The Lord has made himself known. He's executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked 
shall return with Shaul all the nations that forget God. Here's the hope of the great king. All the nations that forget God. All the nations who forget God. This is what's happening in our world today. They're forgetting who God is. And they sink into their own pits that they have made. They fall into their own nets. They stand and they do things and they catch themselves. That's what the wicked do. That's their hope. What kind of hope is that hope? That's the hope that you create a problem and then you fix it. That's the hope that you create an issue in society and then you come through and say, look, I'm going to fix it. You're the one who created the problem. Yeah, yeah, but I'm going to fix it. This isn't political. I'm trying not to get political. I don't know if you all remember Ronald Reagan. He so rightly put it, the nine most terrifying words in the English language are, from the government, but I'm here to help. The government is the one who creates many of the problems that we're having in the world today. Then they tell you that they have the solution to fix it. Give me an example. I'm going I'm to hurt all of you, whether you're Republican or Democrat. I'm going to pass a bill to give you money. Okay? I'm going to take care of it. Here's all your money. By the way, I'm going I'm to pass another bill and give you more money. Go ahead. And a new president's going to take over. He's going to pass a bill. He's going to give you money. Oh, by the way, we now have because we're spending all this money we don't have. We're giving it all back to you we don't have. And oh, by the way, now I have to raise interest rates, which is tax, to pay back the money I didn't have to give to you. You see it? You create a problem, and then you give the fix. That's what we're having today. They don't blame the objects. They blame who uses the objects. Let me give you an idea. Food plus diabetes. Okay? Hate speech. Let's create a board that's going to stop hate speech. No, by the way, that board's going to go away. The disinformation board went away because of disinformation. We're going to do things like get rid of guns. Yet we're going to have security guards carry guns. Why can't we all have guns or security guards? Why, why can't we take care of the most vulnerable people in our society today? Children. I, I can tell you right now, criminals don't care about your laws. They're going to find a way to find a gun. Whether we get rid of all the guns or not. There are other countries that I give you guns criminal, you'll find a way to do it. Because guess what? You're not that important. See, the president, the vice president, all of the Congress, all of the Senate, all of the government's people, they're important. They deserve to have security guards. You and your children, nope. Not that important. 
that's the reality. That's what I see happening in the world today. What's good for thee, but not for me. Because we're important and you're not. The First Amendment was created for the reason of allowing us to have free speech. The Second Amendment was created just in case the first one didn't work. We need to be a nation that doesn't forget God, but turns from our ways and turns to His ways. Because here's the truth. Babies' lives matter to God. Are you ready for something controversial? Black lives matter to God. You ready for something that calls me a racist right now? All lives matter to God. tribalism, when we get into this fighting issue, and Christians don't stand up for truth, we have these issues happen, and then it's forced upon us, upon everyone. We need to stop creating our own traps and falling into them, because for those of us who rely on God, we have a hope in God, and we are never put to shame. We may be looked down upon by people who disagree with us. I'm okay with that. Because I knew and I know where my hope is coming from. My hope doesn't come from my government. My hope comes from God. My hope doesn't come from United Nations. My hope comes from God. Because the nations have forgotten who God is. And it's going to cause them to fall. However, look at what God does for us. Our hope, here it is. Verse 18. Verse 18, for the needy shall not always be forgotten. The hope of the poor shall never perish. Arise, O Lord, let us not let not man prevail. Let the nations be judged before you. Put them in fear, O Lord. Let the nations know. Are you ready for this? Let the nations know that they are but men. We need to put the fear of God in them. Listen to what he says in Matthew. Jesus says this, Have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed, or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say it in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim it on the rooftops. Do not fear those who are going to kill your body, but cannot kill your soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both your soul and your body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before man, Jesus says, I will acknowledge before my father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before man... I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus is our hope. I don't fear man. And so what's whispered in, in secret, I'm going to shout it from the rooftops. What's said in darkness, I'm going to show in a light on it. And here's the reality of it. My hope is in this and in Jesus and in the truth. And if I get killed, does this ever change? changes. 
kill the messenger. That stays the same. We just need people who are willing to be the message because Jesus is our hope. That's why I share Jesus with others. And I'm not perfect. Trust me. I make mistakes. I sin. It's not about perfection. I'm no better than you. I'm no better than you. I, I can't stand when people put pastors on pedestals. Please don't do that. If you put me on a pedestal, I'll be the first to knock me off. My hope is in Jesus, and it's the same for you. It's the same for all of us. That's why we share Jesus. You might drown in a lake like Winston almost did. You might die in a car accident. You might have something get stuck while you're eating. You may have someone crazy enough to start shooting and murdering you. You might get sick with a disease and die. You never know when we're going to die. But we can always have hope in Jesus who loves us enough to die for us. Who acknowledges us before the Father. Those who acknowledge Him. For our sins, to make us righteous before God the Father. He died for those. Jesus is our hope. The wicked have no hope. In fact, their memories will be forgotten forever. God's Son gives us hope in crazy, evil world. Because He's the righteous right judge. He's our hope. He's our redemption. We need people to trust and faith. What do I do? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for this time. I pray, Lord, that we would be a nation who would turn from our ways and turn to your ways. That we would be a people who sing praises to you and realize that our hope is in you. I pray, Lord, that you do, like like true songs, that you would you would destroy our enemies. Those who hate you. And Lord, I pray your righteous right judgment would come down soon. Jesus, I pray you would turn. song soon and very soon, we're going to see the King. Lord, I pray that we would truly put our trust and hope in you. We have many years, 80, 90, maybe 100 years to truly turn from our ways and turn to your ways and ask for forgiveness. That's what I pray for this nation, for the people.